Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Curiously Morbid with me, Danielle Waldron, and my delicious co-host, Dean Osgood. Delicious? Why delicious? Because I was thinking of something that began with D and that was the first okay. adjective that came delicious. to Delicious. Yeah, delicious. I usually try and give you three on a Freaky Friday. Well, that's... Well, yeah, well, it's not a Freaky Friday, is it? No, it's not. But yeah. I could be like, d- delicious, daring, <laughs> delectable... Dean, yes. Well, what did, what did I call you, deranged, the other week? I don't think you called me deranged. You called me creepy at one point. I remember that. That was a. Song. Did I not call you deranged at one point? Maybe I don't know. I feel like I called That's you. That's why I don't like going with the three adjectives because I'd just say something offensive. Because you panic. No, I didn't call you deranged. Panic. I called you. Um, oh, and you said you found it out when you seen the home for the children. <gasps> Destitute. Destitute. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, because I like that, because it's funny. Right, so this week we are going to look into the assassination of Martin Luther King and all the conspiracies that surround it. I'm excited for this. I'm quite excited for this one as well. I like that it, like, loosely links with the JFK theme that we had going on last week. Well, they all loosely link. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Apart from Heaven's Gate, maybe. Yeah, Heaven's Gate was like its own thing. Yeah, can't find the links there. But I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about the civil rights movement. Yeah. I think it's very prevalent. Um, Is prevalent the right word? Yeah, prevalent is the right word. Prevalent, right word. I think it's like... Oh, well, I'm not going to say Martin Luther King started a movement, but he championed the movement yeah, for a long a time. Yeah, huge involvement. And had a massive impact on it. Yeah. Um, And obviously that still echoing today and still going on today yeah. because we need equality. Yeah, and he also delivered one of the greatest speeches, probably the greatest speech, really. I, I'm pretty sure every English teacher, when they teach speech writing to the classes, uses Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream. I Have a Dream. And it's just everyone's rhetoric. Yeah, exactly. It's just so synonymous, isn't it, with, with everyone. Look at us using big words. Oh, <laughs> but so I also, I've also got lots of thoughts about how quite sad it is because yeah, he had this dream in what the nineteen sixties. Yeah, and, it's... and like, look at where we are today. I know. 80, really 80, 80 years on, that's not math. Sixty years on. Yeah. And like, still, obviously, we've made changes, but not a lot. Yeah. And you know what shocks me what? is that he was only thirty-nine. I know. I always think of him as much older. So do I, but I think he was just wise beyond his years. Did I tell you the fun fact? What fun fact? Well, it's not necessarily fun fact, but um, Anne Frank and Martin Luther King are from the same age. Born the same year. Yeah, so that's crazy. You think of them as being from different time periods, but they were born the same year. Weird, isn't it? Weird. I've told you my theory of history, haven't I? Maybe. Where I think that... um, History is a lot shorter than what we think it has been. Yeah, yeah, like, because... Through lived experience. Yeah, there's no way for us to really know. So before we get into it, today's episode is brought to you by Sassy Shop Wax. Yes, we got the wax. The Sassy Wax. The Sassy Shop Wax. I'm absolutely in love with these products. Danielle's just given me them and I haven't stopped smelling them. This one I've got in my hand smells of strawberry lily. And it smells absolutely gorgeous and not... Only is it like nice pinky white colour. It's also got loads of lovely glitter on. I know. The presentation is gorgeous. 
And I love the wax melts that like looks like a chocolate bar as well. And oh. yours is like two different colours. It's two-tone and it's like pink and blue. It reminds me of the pink and blue sweets and it's also a chocolate yeah. bar. And it's also got like blue stars on. I know. It's just gorgeous. They make really cute like little presents. It's really reasonably priced as well. And the smell is absolutely phenomenal. I love wax melts so much. Just, oh, me too. And it's just a nice way to calm yourself down. Yeah. Um, I've recently been on a health and well-being journey. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I've, I'm trying to reevaluate my. This sounds like a sidebar. It's not. Trying to reevaluate my um, relationship with food. And one okay. of the things that I've been doing is not using food as a treat and trying to use something else as a treat. So this is perfect. <gasps> yeah. So like to treat myself to one of these and then have some me time, like mm-hmm. meditation with this on in the background would be yeah. gorgeous. And it's then associating myself with positive things. Yeah. And also they last a lot longer because I used to be a big candle gal and I would just buy tons and tons of candles. And But once they're gone, they're gone. But with wax obviously you put it in the top and the smell still stays for ages and then it dries back up yeah like it doesn't disappear so it's great it's amazing they're reusable um and obviously when you put in a wax warmer wax melts at quite a low um point so Mm. you're not burning it in candles it burns the wax yeah exactly so when you're warming wax you get a nicer purer smell and these would be excellent as presents this like pinky blue ones in my hand how gorgeous are it they? is gorgeous it's called bedtime baby and how nice would this be to get like a little bundle of these for like a baby shower oh they are gorgeous the presentation is beautiful oh. sassy shot wax phenomenal love 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 you've sold me i'm buying where can i get it you can get it from there instagram at sassy shop wax yes or even go on their website which is again just sassy shop wax nice so nice and straightforward if you want to get yourself some of this nice sassy shop wax get yourself onto their website once again that's sassy shop wax and tell them that the folks are curiously morbid pod sent you on with the show so let's open the case file Martin Luther King Jr. was an American clergyman and civil rights leader who was fatally shot at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee on the 4th of April 1968 at precisely 6.01pm. He was rushed to hospital where he died at 5 past 7. So he was alive for a little bit, you know, like he, he held on. but Oh, for yeah. over an hour. Yeah, bless him. Um, I don't like thinking about all this, you know. I know, it is sad. But did you know, I didn't actually know that Martin Luther King was assassinated until, like, maybe a couple of years ago. Like... How did you not know Martin Luther King was not... I don't know. Like, it just always... I don't know. I feel like I probably learnt it and then just forgot. But it's weird, because then when I've said to other people, like I've mentioned, like, oh, we're doing this, they've gone, he was assassinated. So I feel like it's one of those little blips, you know, in history... It's either a Mandela effect or it shows the repercussion of how that we've whitewashed history because you know that JFK was assassinated, Martin Luther King around the same time, a black man. Mm That is that is showing glaring holes in in our education system. I knew who he was, 100%, but 
I didn't really. But then again, my school, we didn't really do American civil rights. Which we, which we focused is focused on like Nazi Germany and stuff like that. See, so did we. To be fair, we didn't really do civil rights. The school I work in at the minute teaches civil rights to know that. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is is a, is is a positive, yeah, and I think course, it should be yeah. taught. I also think the civil rights um, movement in the UK should be taught as well. Yeah, because it's crazy. I wasn't taught. I didn't even know we had a civil rights movement in the UK until I did my A-level history. Um, and we did, like, the 1960s Britain. Um, I didn't know about, like, all the boycotts and stuff that we had going on here and what immigration it's... was like in the 60s. People should know it. It should be taught. Well, I thought, why isn't that taught in high school as part of, like, Key Stage 3 history? Because that's, like, important recent history. Yeah, it's even things like Windrush isn't taught. Yeah, which is bizarre. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I didn't know a lot about Windrush until um, recently when it's been in the news a lot because of obviously the scandals around it. Do you know? I had Windrush in my timeline on my in my classroom, and I remember every single child would always be like, "What's that?" Because I'd have like all the important events of like what's ever happened in the history of history, and that was on there. And none of the kids ever knew what it was. See, we should ever. teach that. So, um, for those at home that don't know what Windrush is, um, I don't know if it's it's just maybe like our American listeners might be unaware of it. Mm. For those at home that don't know, um, Windrush happened in 1948, and the British government or the British Empire at the time um, approached people in Jamaica. Yeah, places like um, Jamaica, Haiti, all that, like basically any colonies that we owned to come and help rebuild our economy, basically, because it was just after World War Two, and obviously we lost tons of men who were the predominant like workers. So we had like not a very good workforce, which is why we basically begged a lot of people to come in and help us from um, the colonies help revive yeah revive, revive the country and, yeah. and um also on the back of that the nhs national health service mm-hmm. was getting started and yeah. um, we asked for a lot of nurses healthcare workers doctors yeah. to come on over um and what happened with the scandal as part of windrush was a lot of the people that came over then were then um very recently denied the right to remain or denied their citizenship when they lived here for well over 50 60 years they've massively contributed to the uk's economy they've been paying the taxes the national insurance they helped the country out in a time of need and we actively went to their country and said please come to our country and help us and now we're just kicking them out and like but not only just kicking them out but like deporting them making them prove that they've lived here for 60 years like it's insane horrendous it's so really insane i know that was a massive sidebar but i do think it's really important that we teach not yeah. only um american civil rights but our own civil rights movement yeah it's definitely something that just needs highlighting in schools i think it's scandalous that that it just gets sort of whitewashed over you know it's crazy and it's recently been highlighted um, again recently because of the Black Lives Matter movement mm. so please just loads of petitions out there in a minute to help with education yeah. and education um, specifically around black, um, like diversity in the curriculum to promote it yeah. and get it more involved and, and, and more to teach inclusive. things like the Black Lives Matters protests 
with civil rights and yeah. look at look at the comparison in, in in history and things like that yeah. that's what we should be doing as educators so please go and sign the petitions and let's like yeah try and get it. make a bit of a noise about it yeah definitely so sorry i won't danielle gave me a note before we came on and said dean you talk too much in the podcast <laughs> and i said listen hon this is what the people are here to say that i am the money maker <laughs> oh. so i'm going to be quiet now while danielle tells us about martin luther king so Martin Luther King was a prominent leader in the civil rights movement and he was even the Nobel Peace Prize winner and laureate um, and he was known for his active sort of stance on non-violence and civil disobedience. So he was very much in the camp of like peaceful protests. He would, you know, um, also advocate things like sit-ins and stuff like that. Basically just peacefully doing things that are annoying basically to the like white supremacists. But there were a lot of other people who wanted to do it with, like, violence. So if you think of, like, his sort of opposite being Malcolm X, who wanted to, like, go out on the streets and riot and, you know, like, loiter and things like that. And and he promoted violence because that's how he saw was the correct way to make change. Martin Luther King was, like, the total opposite and believed in doing it peacefully. Which I personally think is the correct way to go. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I'm sure a lot of people do, but... For me, it's not my... Like, I really like Malcolm X as a, like, a historical sort of figure. And everything he preaches, yeah. Yeah, he's important as well. And who am I to be like, oh, you're doing that the correct way or the wrong way when I've got no idea what life was like for them? Yeah, also, I should revoke that comment. That's not a bad thing. That's a bad thing to say, is it? It's not a bad thing to say. You... being peaceful. but i think i, it, I believe pe- peaceful, peaceful protest yeah, and i and i know that i've never had that lived experience of being a person of color yeah. um and especially and we've got to think about it we always look at stuff through the lens of being in the 21st century yeah we don't even know what it was like to live in the 1960s because that is so far removed from what we are we know today but we do know what it's like to experience prejudice yeah. because of one thing or the other yeah and we do know what that feels like so i can only imagine that amplified and happening all the time and things like segregation especially with all the disgusting stuff that was going on and i think it's horrendous so i understand and i understand now why it turns to violence Mm. because people were at the end of the tether people are still at the end of the tether it it comes out of frustration doesn't it and stuff like that and like like you would be frustrated i'm frustrated Mm. now yeah why are we still in this i'm frustrated i'm angry i can tell on with the show let the women do the work Stop stealing catchphrases <laughs> from obsessed with true crime. <laughs> Sorry, true crime obsessed. True crime obsessed, baby. Um, right. So James L. Ray, a fugitive from the Mississippi State Penitentiary, was arrested on June eighth, nineteen sixty-eight, at London's Heathrow Airport. He was extradited the U- to the U.S. and charged with the crime. On March 10th, 1969, he pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 99 years in the Tennessee State Penitentiary. He later made many attempts to withdraw his guilty plea and to be tried by a jury, but was unsuccessful. He later died in prison in 1998. Yeah, so he's a supposed assassinator. assassinator. Yeah. But we know from JFK that the person that's often charged with the crime and sentenced didn't necessarily did it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it says something that he actually lived in prison for such a long time afterwards, like thirty years. Like so he, he wasn't might, silenced yeah. or anything by anybody. So, but then did they learn the lesson from the whole scandal with 
she, was James Ray a white man? Yes, yeah, he was a white man. So that also says something about how he lived in prison. Yeah. And wasn't necessarily attacked or shot because mm. I imagine there was a lot of people that supported what he did. Do you know, probably. Well, that's, again, that's the difference, isn't there? Like, people I can't imagine that. Us. I can't imagine people having that point of view now. Yeah, but there would be. And, and there are still yeah. people, aren't there? But that's probably how a sheltered life I've lived mm. in comparison. Yeah. So, the King family and others believe that the assassination was the result of a conspiracy involving the US government, our friends at the Mafia, we like the mafia. Well, we don't like the mafia, we don't but like we, mafia, we talk but about the mafia a lot. Um, and Memphis police, as alleged by Lloyd Jowers in 1993, they believe that Ray was a scapegoat. So this is very similar to JFK's, isn't it? They thought it was the Dallas police and the mafia, and so it's it's basically the same, but just in all Memphis. conspiring against. Yeah, them. all conspiring, but. If I'm being honest, there's so much more evidence, I think, to prove that th- this happened to Martin Luther King and I actually can't believe it's not like more spoken about and things like that because I think once we've like laid it all out, it's really... Like, so you, you think obvious. it's a conspiracy to get rid of him? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, and you will. You will see why. All right, I'm, I'm waiting for you to convince me. Well, in 1999, the family actually filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Jowers um, for the sum of £10 million. During closing arguments, their attorney asked the jury to award the to award damages of £100 to make the point that it was not about the money. Obviously, they, the family had gone for this huge sum because that was the whole point, but they didn't actually want the money. They wanted it to be known that Martin Luther King's death was wrongful um, and that all these conspiracy theories and stuff like that needed to sort of... Not like come out in an official. Well, yeah, they wanted. But it, it needs to be, to be officially like, documented. Yeah, they it to be officially in a court. Documented. Exactly. Have a conviction. And a lot of people do that. They'll go to a civil court to get it. You know, like in paper. Legally, on the books. Even though nothing actually happens, it's still there on the books. You've got the record. You got the history. Yeah. So, um, during the trial, both sides presented evidence alleging a government conspiracy. So they were sort of like showing two sides of a queen, but the families were slightly different. Which oh, so they're about. working together for this then? Mm, they're working together, but not about the same... The same conspiracy. Thing. Yeah. So, so they didn't agree with what he was saying, basically. They they believe in a different version. Of and then he also believes in the conspiracy being a conspiracy yeah, theorist. But it's just... 100 quid's all right to get this on the record, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so... The accused government agencies could not defend themselves or respond because they were not named as defendants. Uh, so based on the evidence, the jury concluded that Jowers and the others were part of a conspiracy to kill King and awarded that's the clever. family the money. To not yeah. name them so they can't mm-hmm. get involved. Yeah, it's really bad, isn't it? That's clever, though. It's clever. On the family's it's, part. It's bad. Um. The allegations and the finding of the Memphis jury were later rejected by the United States Department of Justice in 2000 because of a lack of evidence. So even though this had gone through like the civil court and they'd done it all like the way they did, it ultimately just got rejected by like the top. Well, we know things get overturned all the time, don't they? Yeah, exactly. But it's just like you can't give the family like a smidge of justice. Like no. it's just. 
Oh, it's really frustrating. But they did get some justice because there was an original, not conviction, but a ruling. Yeah, and they know this happened. Yeah, which is good for them. So tell me more. So as early as the mid 1950s, King had received death threat. King had received death threats because of his prominence in the civil rights movement. He had confronted the risk of death, including a nearly fatal stabbing in 1958, ten years earlier. It made its recognition part of his philosophy. He taught that murder could not stop the struggle for equal rights. And after the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963, King told his wife, Coretta Scott King, this is going to happen to me also. I keep telling you, this is a sick society. Do you know, it's very, very telling and very sad that they expect it to happen. Yeah. You know, but he probably thought, oh my God, if they can't keep the president safe, they're not going to keep me safe. No. And he's causing a hell of a lot more controversy yeah, than the president. Yeah, he was causing a lot of controversies. He was a big problem for lots of people in the government. It, Which it, he should not have been. He standing up for his rights and the rights of a lot of people. Yeah, but you've got to, protect, you've got to um, take into consideration lots of people in the government would have been racist at the time. So for them... Well, the country was racist. Oh, yeah. The world was racist. Mm-hmm. So, and and a lot of the world still is. A lot of the American government yeah. and the UK government and the police. Yeah, it's shocking, really. Um, can I also just point out this also this like preempting of of an assassination or a murder attempt, mm. and using that as part of your teaching, um, happens in a lot of assassinations. Yeah. Harvey Milk, for example, um, is famous for saying, "If a bullet shall enter my brain, let it destroy every closet door in America." Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. they expect it to happen, these crazy, prominent people yeah. leading the rights, and um, they weave it into their teachings because they know it's going to happen. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, they sort of want to preempt their followers for it because he would always, like I was saying, he would always reference that, like, knife attack that he survived and say, you know, the movement doesn't stop just because I died. They want it to be bigger than yeah. them and to keep it going, and that's, like... Yeah. yeah, so they need to make sure like that, that it's going to survive without them, pretty much. King travelled to Memphis, Tennessee to support the striking African-American uh, city sanitation workers. The workers had staged a walkout on the 11th of February 1968 to protest unequal wages and working conditions imposed by their mayor, Henry Lebb. At the time, Memphis paid black workers significantly lower wages than it did their white workers. There were no city-issued uniforms, no restrooms, no recognised union and no grievance procedure for the numerous occasions on which they were underpaid. During Lab's tenure as mayor, conditions did not significantly improve and the gruesome February 1968 deaths of two workers in a garbage compacting truck turned mountain tensions into a strike. So... Obviously, it really wasn't safe to be a sanitation worker at all during this period. They're getting really crap pay and it's dangerous to be working there. And clearly, like, no one's... And no one cares. Yeah, no one's caring about them. They've got no way... The mayor, the boss, the company, like... If we think about the truck drivers from when we did Jimmy Hoffer and that was, like, a huge union thing and he was this big union man and... 
everyone was so grateful to him for african-americans that wasn't there for them that wasn't put in place so did they just not have unions or would unions just not let them join unions wouldn't let like black people join like they needed to have one for like black people specifically because it's so good for segregation isn't it Oh. So it, uh, yeah, and they wouldn't have the same resources, would, no. would they at the time? No, because of like obviously unions come down through generations of generations, like yeah. So it's it's shocking, really, and obviously it took a really like big event like this um to have them all walk out and do this peaceful protest. It's and a catalyst, then, isn't it? Something yeah, like that and to like Luther King's going there to show his support and and help them because him going and doing that. It makes a huge statement. So it was really like good of him to go. I just, I just don't understand. I know. Does that make sense? Like, and and, and I know, I know, I talk too much. No, go on. But no, I, I just don't understand. And like, I think it's because in my head, I can't comprehend how people Can't-less, see other yeah. people as lesser than them as, like, just because rash. of something. Yeah. Like how? I know. It's horrible. Like, I don't know. Is that people's upbringings? It's got to be, hasn't it? Well, it's got, it'll be the way they're socialised at the time. Because even people who weren't, like, racist in the way of, like, they'd go and, and lynch and join the KKK and stuff, like, that's extreme racism. There would still be people who would just, like, they'll cross the street if they see a black person. Oh. And that stuff still happens today. No, it does. Really regularly. So. Is that, that must be upbringing, mustn't it? Because I remember I was always taught that, like, everyone's the same, everyone's equal. And, like, I was taught that you treat people mm-hmm. the way you want to be treated. Well, that's the thing. And I think it's also, like, um, sometimes it's, like, ingrained in, in society, isn't it? Um, so King participated in a massive march in Memphis in March 28, 1968, which ended in violence. On the 8th of April, King returned to Memphis to attempt a successful new march later that week. His airline flight to Memphis was delayed by a bomb threat, but he arrived in time to make a planned speech at, to a gathering in Mason Temple, the world headquarters of the Church of God and Christ. At the Mason Temple, King delivered his famous I've Been to a Mountaintop speech. In it, he recalled his 1958 attempted assassination, noting that his doctor, had, who had treated him, said that because the knife used to stab him was so close to his aorta, any sudden movement, even a sneeze, might have killed him. He referred to a letter written by a young girl who told him that she was happy that he had not sneezed. He used the reference to say, I too am happy that I didn't sneeze. Because if I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1960, when students all over the South started sitting in at lunch counters. If I had sneezed, I wouldn't have been around here in 1961, when we decided to take a ride for freedom and ended segregation in interstate travel. King repeated the phrase, if I had sneezed, several more times, recalling numerous other events and acts of the civil disobedience from previous years. The Albany Movement in 1962, the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom in 1963, and the Selena to Montgomery March in 1965. As he neared the close, he prophetically referred to the bomb threat. And then I got to Memphis, and some began to say the threats, or talk about the threats, that were out and would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now 
because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind like anybody. I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I am not concerned about that now. I want to do God's will. And he allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. What a boss speech. Yeah, and that's his last speech like that he's ever going to make. And I think it's so important like that he's talking about these, like he's talking about, you know, like what if he'd sneezed that time? Like he, he's, it's it's horrible now that, we, you know, we're reflecting on that when we know what's about to happen very shortly. Mm. And because... It, it's almost like he like he's fearing that something's going to happen because he's basically saying like we might not all get to the promised land together so for me he's kind of hinting you know like maybe one day i won't be here you know to again trying to reassert yeah, exactly. that this movement is not him exactly it's everybody and it needs to keep on going yeah and he's saying like we've got some difficult days ahead you know he wants to live a long life but he's not concerned about that anymore so for me, it's kind of suggesting that he knows something. That he coming. had a little bit of a uh, an insight into something wasn't right. Not necessarily an insight, but I think if you were a man who is, what's the word I'm trying to say? Of his stature. Yeah, I think if you were a man of his stature, knowing how. I don't like using the word controversial because mm. it shouldn't be controversial. Yeah, but, at the time. but at the time, controversial. And knowing that people are getting assassinated left, right, and centre, you know that you're going to be on the top of someone's list because you're causing problems in the government, you're changing the world, and you are massively making an impact, and people don't like that. So I think you'd kind of know. Yeah. Well, there might be some other reasons why you'd know lately. Ooh. We'll see. So, on Thursday, April the 4th, in 1968, King was staying in room 306 at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. The motel was owned by a businessman, Walter Bailey, named after his wife, Lorraine. Reverend Ralph Abathony, a colleague and friend, later told the House Select Committee on Assassinations that he and King had stayed in room 306 at the Lorraine Motel so often that it was known as the King Albanathy Suite. So that was like their room, basically, that they did always stay there when they were in Memphis, which is is cute. That's nice. nice. Can I also interject? Go on. Assassinations were such a big thing in America that that they they had had a house select committee. Well, okay, so in 1968, we'd had JFK, we'd had Malcolm X, Bobby Kennedy was the same year, I think, as this year. So I can't remember if he'd already gone or went after, but in this year, there's another two. So it's a massive problem. Also, half a milk. Yeah. But not till a bit later, yeah. yeah. Um, So it's very like, they do have, like, obviously a big problem, and they're just like the prominent ones that are. There's many more. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yes, Dean. What makes it an assassination and not a murder? I think, like, the difference with an assassination is, like, it's a planned, you know, like, um, 
like a ruse isn't it it's like uh, normally multiple people are involved with an assassination and then it's though it's the way that it's carried out you know like, like normally with like a sniper and it's very like it's not personal like a personal murder normally is like in, in rage or in rage, very emotion driven to them normally like you go up and do it sort of thing um because you know it can be premeditated but an assassination it takes a lot of planning and time and prep like again it's not very good to be a creature of habit if you are a prominent figure because unfortunately they knew what room he was going to be in because he always stayed yeah. in the same room uh so could i also just point out something here Go on. just about that thing of habit mm. it's not good for anyone to be a creature no, it's of really habit not. um and to like have the same routine yeah. every day. Um, especially in the world we live in today when people are not nice. Mm. Um, and just a thing to put out there is please stop posting your running or walking routes on social medias. <gasps> yeah. Like yeah. I keep seeing it and it's really unsettling me because anyone can see that if it's on social media. Mm-hmm. And as lovely it is, it is to support everyone on their like exercise journeys. Mm. And like cheer you on, like yeah, you've walked five ten miles. Don't because it's not safe. Yeah, and really people is. know you walk that route. Don't do it. PSA over. <laughs> no, but that's that's an important one. So according to biographer Taylor Branch, King's last words were to musician Ben Branch, um, who was scheduled to perform that night at a planned event. King said, "Ben, make sure you play. Take my hand, precious Lord, in the meeting tonight. Make it real pretty." Um, which I think are quite nice words because he's, you know, he's wanting to have like this nice religious music. Obviously, he was very religious. Um, he was a reverend himself, um, Martin Luther King. Obviously, he was very religious. Well, yeah, yeah, of course. According to Reverend Samuel Kyles, who was standing several feet away, King was leaning over the balcony railing in the front. In the was leaning over the balcony railing in front of room 306 and was speaking with Reverend Jesse Jackson when the shot rang out. King was struck in the face at 6.01pm by a single bullet fired from a Remington model 760 rifle. So again, a rifle, just like the JFK one. Remington as well. Mm. What? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Was, kn- it, was it a Remington from for JFK? No, I just know it from Mean Girls. The bullet entered through King's right cheek, breaking his jaw and several vertebrae as it travelled down his spied, spinal cord, severing his jugular vein and major arteries in the process before lodging in his shoulder. The force of the shot ripped King's necktie off King fell backward onto the balcony, unconscious. Abathony heard a shot from his from inside the motel room and ran to the balcony to find King on the deck, bleeding profusely and the wound in his cheek. Jesse Jackson stated after the shooting that he cradled King's head as King lay on the balcony, but this account was disputed by other colleagues of King. Jackson later changed his statement to say that he had reached out for King. Andrew Young, a colleague from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, first believed King was dead, but he found he still had a pulse. Because obviously we know he didn't officially die till an hour later. So King was rushed to St. Joseph's Hospital, where doctors opened his chest and performed a cardiopulmonary 
resuscitation. Do you know what that is? No. Oh, is that where they massage the heart? They manually massage the heart. Oh, God. To try and keep him alive. Um. Yeah. Not good, is it? No, that you know it's really serious. When the when the like normal CPR doesn't work. But why have they opened his chest when it's in his face? Well, because of, I guess that's like they need CPR that re- yeah. wasn't working, so that was the, the next option, resort. Wasn't it? Yeah. Oh God. That's not a common practice today, though. That, you no, know. I was going to say, and this is also 1960s medicine, yeah. isn't it? So he never regained consciousness and died at 7.05pm. According to Branch, King's autopsy revealed his heart was in the condition of a six-year-old man, rather than that of a 39-year-old man, such as King, which Branch attributed to the stress of King's 13 years in the civil rights movement. I can imagine that that is one of the most stressful things to do. definitely. So by the sounds of that... I assume he probably would have had some sort of heart issues in the future coming up for him. Yeah, or or having them yeah. presently as well. Yeah, because obviously that's like a twenty-one year difference in his in his heart rate, isn't it? Which I mean, not in his heart rate, but in his heart's condition, which is. But again, like his friend said, that really shows the stress that he was under. I can imagine how stressful that would be, mm. and like, do you know what I find stressful? When someone's not listening to you, and when when you are trying to make a really good and well structured, well argued yeah, point, yeah, just won't listen. Can you imagine doing that for thirteen years? Stretch thirteen up, not, years. Can you imagine doing that for your whole life? Yeah. And no one listening. No. Yeah. On a huge scale as well, like it, it literally has the entire you know black people's population is on your. I imagine. It would have felt like it was on his shoulders. Yeah, a lot of weight. Because, yeah, because really, there was a couple of leaders of the civil rights movement, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Like Rosa Parks? Yeah, she was in there. Well, that's the thing, like, a lot of these people never, I think, never meant to be, like, you know, like, big figures. No, they they just... they just came it because that's what they were doing. And I think now that's what a lot of the um, movements now, especially Black Lives Matter movement, it needs someone to, like... Direct it and help yeah. echo the voice, doesn't it? I think it, could, it possibly could happen soon because Rosa Parks, she didn't do that off her own back. It was actually because a 15-year-old girl had done it previously, like a few months before. Yeah. And she'd been, like, taken, you know, like, to um, by the police and, like, dragged off the bus and stuff like that. And I think this then happened to Rosa Parks and she thought about, like, that 15-year-old girl doing it and going through it. And so she, that that's what made her, you know, like you know stand up and do it but i think because she was an older woman um people maybe, listened to yeah, her more but were more like oh okay we'll listen to her whereas obviously it was a teenager in yeah respect, but, but people should listen to anyone regardless yeah, of age exactly. i've also just ordered a barbie of rose box for my classroom oh. they're doing an inspirational women line and i've ordered rosa parks and i've ordered sally um Sally Ride, who's an LGBT, she was the first lesbian astronaut in space. That is amazing. First woman and first lesbian in space. Oh, that's amazing! I love it. Um, but yeah, yes. yeah, yes, wrote that. Have you seen the Doctor Who of Rosa Parks? Yeah, it's so random, Doctor Who, isn't like, it? Why, like, why, why, why the fuck? They just do crazy stuff all the time. Do they need like, to like no put an alien in Rosa Parks' story? I, I think it's a good way to teach the kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
So, shortly after the shot was fired, witnesses saw a man, later believed to be James L. Ray, fleeing from a rooming house. Doesn't this sound a lot like Oswald? He was fleeing from Glaring a similarities. Can I just ask a silly question again? I know you don't like it when I interrupt. No, go on. But a rooming house. It's like having a lodger. So they, they don't own the house. They have they, they just live got there. a room in the house. That's what they call oh, it. A lodger. Fab. Um, but isn't that funny how James L. Ray was like a lodger and so was Oswald. Like they didn't have their own houses. People have no fixed abode. Mm. Very like, yeah, yeah, onto. Like nomads. It's weird, isn't it? Um, so, and this was across the street, very conveniently, from the Lorraine Motel. Ray had been renting a room in this boarding house. Police found a package dumped close to the site that included a rifle and binoculars, both with Ray's fingerprints on. Ray had purchased the rifle under an alias six days earlier. A worldwide manhunt was then triggered and accumulated in Ray's arrest at London's Heathrow Airport two months later, which I did not know either. That it was like an international International, no. I did not know that. See, this is why we need education. Yeah, I know, because it's crazy. I found out loads of stuff. Do you know what else is crazy? The fact you can buy a gun under an alias. I know. Well, I mean, in the 1960s, I would really hope that it's more strict now. I don't think it's as strict as obviously it needs to be. No, but... But hopefully it's more strict than than Well, I tell you what, crazy thought. Don't sell people guns. Don't sell them in the shop. Yeah, no. weird that, isn't it? That's just weird. I just find that bizarre. That you I find when you go to America and you're in like Walmart and there's just a case full of guns. That's like the weirdest thing in the world. I like when I see like it's only ever really when I've gone to Manchester, um, and I've been out of a late evening and I think I was coming out of the Share concert. There was police armed police with like machine guns, obviously because of what happened a few years ago um in manchester so but when i've ever seen them in like the train stations and stuff i'm shocked i'm like it, no, it, it <gasps> scares me scary because you're like oh my god they've got the power to just kill someone right now you know if they wanted to i could not imagine seeing armed police officers all the time like they do in america and just normal people walking around with guns if they've got a license yeah that's bizarre I don't get it. to me like our police have tasers and yeah. batons and i think they shouldn't have them yeah and, and, and that's scary it's like Ooh. yeah oh, oh it's crazy it's absolutely insane so on march 10th 1969 he pleaded guilty to the first degree murder of martin luther king jr which he then later recanted so again not like lee harvey oswald but because he always denied it he admitted it no, oh yeah, um, James L. Ray did, but yeah, Harvey, Harvey didn't. never admitted it. But he didn't really get the time to because he was murdered. Like, but even though he's recanted this, yeah, he admitted it. Yeah, he did admit it. Yeah. So, mm. do you know what I mean? So, here's a little like sort of fun fact. So, Coretta Scott King, um, obviously the widow of Martin Luther King. Um, had a bit of difficulty informing her children that their father was dead. They were all really young at the time. Um, and she received, like, as you would imagine, a lot of telegrams, messages, things like that from people, obviously, who really loved him. And she actually got one from Lee Harvey Oswald's mother that she regarded as the one that touched her the most. What did it say? 
well, we don't really know what it said, but you can imagine it saying something like, you know, sorry for your loss, something, something, something. And I'm guessing she was coming at it from a point of view of her husband, her, not her husband, her son was shot in a public way. So maybe it was something like that. But I just thought that's so strange and that was the one that touched her the most. Isn't well, that a strange little... His son also shot someone. Yeah, I know. But I don't think she believes that. Okay. So it's weird, isn't it? Don't know about buying It's this. a weird little... Little connection. Strange, isn't it? I just... I thought it was odd. Yeah, no, odd. Thank you for including it. <laughs> so, um, within the movement then, with the, uh, the reaction to it, um, King's assassination meant the end of the strategy for non-violence. So you've got to think at this time... We've now lost Malcolm X to an assassination who obviously lots of people regarded as another big figure in the uh, civil rights movement. And now King has also died um, to this. Been, he's been assassinated. So people probably are horrifically outraged and so they should be. Yeah, rightly so. Yeah. They're outraged. They're tired of what they've been putting up with for their whole lives. Mm. They're tired of what they're generations before they were put up with and now when they're trying to make a difference they're getting shot they're getting assassinated Mm. if you speak up if you what's that phrase if you put your head above the parapet yeah exactly exactly yeah so others in the movement reaffirm the need to carry on kings and the movement's work leaders in the movement confirmed that they would carry on the poor people's campaign that that year despite the loss of king so the work that he'd gone to Memphis to help them do. Which he, what he would have wanted. Yeah, exactly. Some black leaders argued the need to continue King's and the movement's tradition of non-violence. So they really wanted to keep this going. They were sort of like respecting his wishes. And this was literally what he just said at that mountaintop speech yeah. like days before. So, you know, that was what he would have wanted based on his own words, really. He lived his life peacefully. He wanted peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. He believed change would come through peace. Yeah. So, 100%. But that that was a massive debate in in the movement itself, wasn't it? Whether it should be peaceful or violent. Like, And it still is now. Yeah. Although, conspiracies about the current Black Lives Matter protests. Mm. Like, we need to talk about that. Have you, have you seen, well, yeah, because have you seen that? Or like um, white supremacists going and starting... Yeah, like purposely starting the fights. Like this masked men going in like looting who want nothing to do yeah, with the protests. So now we've had a little link from Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm-hmm. We also get Bobby Kennedy on the scene. Yeah. Okay, so during the day of the assassination... On the campaign trail for the Democratic presidential nomination in Indiana, Senator Robert F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, JFK's brother, um, for those that listen to our JFK two-parter, if you haven't, go and listen to that now, obviously after this, he learned of the shooting before boarding a plane to Indianapolis. Kennedy was scheduled to make a speech there in a predominantly black neighbourhood. Kennedy did not learn that King had died until he landed in Indianapolis. So Kennedy's press secretary, Frank Manikowitz, suggested that he ask the audience to pray for the King family and to follow King's practice of non-violence. 
Minikowitz and speechwriter Adam Walinski drafted notes for Kennedy's use, but he refused them, using some that he had likely written during the ride to the site of the speech. The Indianapolis chief of police advised Kennedy that he could not provide him protection and was worried that he would be at risk when talking about King's death before the predominantly black crowd. However, Kennedy decided to proceed, standing on a flatbed truck. He spoke for 4 minutes and 57 seconds. Kennedy was the first to tell the audience that King had died. Some of the attendees screamed and wailed in grief. Several of Kennedy's aides were worried that the delivery of this information would result in a riot. When the audience quieted, Kennedy acknowledged that many would be filled with anger. He said, For those of you that are black and are tempted to be filled with hatred and mistrust of the injustice of an act of such an act, sorry, against all white people, I would only say that I also feel my own heart the same kind of feeling. I had a member of my family killed, but he was killed by a white man. These remarks surprised his aides, who had never heard him speak publicly of his brother's death. Kennedy said that the country had to make an effort to go beyond these rather difficult times and quoted a poem by the Greek playwright Asilas. Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until our own despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. He said that the country needed and wanted unity between black and white people. And he asked the audience members to pray for the King family and the country. Again, quoting the Greeks. Kennedy's speech was credited with assisting in the prevention of post-assassination rioting in Indianapolis. On the night when such events broke out in major cities across the country. It is widely considered one of the greatest speeches of American history. Don't agree with that. I don't know, it's probably because... Like he was the first yeah, person, he was the first in the per- person to speak out about it, and it was. Pro- I imagine it was probably really heartfelt because his brother had also been assassinated. Yeah. So, and I can imagine he would have been emotional talking about it. He'd never spoke publicly about his brother's death before, you know. And he's speaking to this crowd of of black people, and it would have been really easy for him to play it safe and not mention it, like they told him to, because he's not you know, even got this seat yet in... in no, he's, he's, he's just running for presidential yeah, exactly. democratic he's, he's selection, isn't he? trying to get, you know, his name on the ticket, basically, isn't he? Um, so it's, it's it's a big statement. Yeah, no, sorry, I, re- I reboot my statement. But I think it's a big thing to say it's one of the greatest speeches of all time. Mm. Because maybe, and I understand the importance of a white man running for a presidential ticket saying something like that yeah like really supporting them yeah but also he wasn't the one of the first people to do it was he no jeff no, kennedy had started to show his support during the end of his mm. presidency yeah i don't know I, I hate big statements like that i'm sorry big, big sweeping statements. i have a dream greatest speech of all time yeah it is really easy good. hands down so, Kennedy cancelled all of his scheduled campaign appearances and withdrew to his hotel room. So, that shows how it did affect him. Yeah. Really, like, really affected him to the point where he had to just stop with his campaign. 
Several phone conversations with black community leaders convinced him to speak out against the violent backlash beginning to emerge across the country. The next day, Kennedy gave a prepared response on the mindless menace of violence in Cleveland, Ohio. Although still considered significant, it's given much less historical attention than the Indianapolis speech, which I can imagine because it was more thought out. I yeah, think prepared. The Indianapolis one was raw, and the fact that he rejected, you know, like his advisor's notes and just used his own stuff, that probably had a big impact. impact. And um, also, the people that were there at the speech yeah. obviously just had the news that Martin Luther King had died, yeah, exactly. and it was so raw, and it was yeah. probably just a raw exchange of feeling yeah, so and emotion. I can, see, I can see why people say that was such a significant speech because. That well, must have just been so surreal to be in that audience, mustn't have it? Like to learn something like that. That is something you never hear, forget. Yeah, and then hear um Bobby Kennedy, who was very likely to become the president before obviously then he got assassinated. Um and he really, you know, stuck his neck out and, and back in, you know, this horse, which arguably some people say is one of the reasons that got him assassinated. So, you're doing the right thing but he's doing the right thing yeah, yeah. you should should be on the right side of history always. no matter how hard it is mm-hmm. to stand up yeah do you know exactly. what i mean always be on the right side i'm telling you now danielle be on the right side yeah, of history i'm i'm on the right side i promise you are on the right yeah. side you best be on the right are you on the right side i'm on the right side i'm on the right side too you know as the as a hamilton says uh history has its eyes on you it does, but Hamilton was also a dickhead. No, I don't mean Hamilton the person. I mean Hamilton the show. The musical. I'll, I'll go with the musical. Yeah. We like the musical. The musical says history has its eyes. Yeah, Lin-Manuel Miranda, well, what a legend. However, Hamilton, we shouldn't really glorify him. No. But was very... It's an amazing musical, though, wasn't Yeah. It? I am not going away with my shot. That sounded dead good, that. That sounded like it. Thanks. <laughs> That's good. So... President Lyndon B. Johnson. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so the guy who became president right after Kennedy, and then he actually ended up getting elected again, so he's still president at the moment. It wasn't even meant to be on the ticket for the second election. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He was actually in the Oval Office that evening, planning a meeting in Hawaii with the Vietnam War uh, military commanders. After the press secretary, George Christian, informed him at 20 past eight, which I think seems quite late. That's like over an hour after he died. Yeah, you think that news should travel to the president like that? Like quick, like Bobby Kennedy knew before he knew. Yeah. Which is crazy. Isn't because it? you'd imagine such a prominent figure with the statue that mm. King had, the president should be making a speech. It should be national news. Well, yeah, making a statement. Um, so that's when he learned about the assassination and he cancelled a trip. Um, the trip to Hawaii to focus on the nation because obviously he knew this was going to cause um, a lot of uproar. Uh, he assigned Attorney General Ramsey Clark to investigate the assassination in Memphis. He made a personal call to King's wife, Coretta King- Scott King, and declared April 7th a national day of mourning in the US and the flag would actually be um, flown at half-mast, which is a huge statement like massive isn't it i i think that was obviously the right thing for him to do obviously. oh 100 um i think his reaction is is good really bad. but we can start seeing now because obviously 
the civil rights movement have been in action. Yeah, for over 10 years. Yeah, and we can start seeing the effect of that happening now Mm -hmm. because if this would have happened at the start of the civil rights movement, there's no way that would have happened in 1958 when he was stabbed. Possibly would have been a very different Yeah, it would have been a very different story. Yeah, because all those sit-ins and things like that hadn't happened yet in 1958. Um, And obviously in the 60s, we got loads of those um, like court cases so that they could stop segregated schools and things like that. Um, and do you know, can I just point out how brave those people were to do that? Oh, insanely. Honestly. Because if you look at photos of like, um, I was looking at photos of some of the sit-ins mm-hmm. and like they used to like um, go and sit at the counters at like... Um, in like a white-only uh, restaurant. Yeah, and and like the people, the, and they would just be sitting studying, but there would be people trying to intimidate them around yeah, them and, and like trying to move them on. And, like, and stuff, yeah. Just disgusting, isn't it? And horrible. The braveness to stand up in that. I am very thankful for these people. Yeah. They've done that so I can live in the world we live in today. Yeah. And the world we live in today is not perfect, but it's certainly a lot better, a lot than, better than what it was in, in the 50s and 60s. So, isn't it? Yeah. thank you to Definitely. those people that have come before us to do oh that. My God, yeah. And I think it's one of those things like, obviously, go educate yourself, watch films like The Butler and 12 Years a Slave, and, or like, you know, even like Moonlight. Oh, my God, Moonlight's gorgeous. Oh, I love Moonlight. Um, but, you know, go and, and educate yourself and, and Tom Hanks does an amazing series that he, I think he narrates and produces it because he's a bit of a history buff, Tom Hanks and uh, he loves the 1960s and he did a huge one just all about the civil rights um, and it's a really good series, it's long like it's a, like a proper series but it's amazing. Oh I might watch that because um, we need to speak to people because um the civil rights movement was much bigger than Martin Luther King, yeah, than Rosa Parks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was loads of people involved, yeah. so we need to say their names. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And like, so, yeah, celebrate I think, them. I think it would be a good idea to maybe find some smaller stories as well. I've got a few like in mind um, for future shows. Should we do a bonus episode? <laughs> that's all I think about I'm like Phew, just in that two part that was a lot <laughs> You're so obviously there's also lots of riots and reaction so colleagues of King colleagues of King and the civil rights movement called for a non-violent response as we've spoken about um, in response to his assassination to honour those deeply held beliefs that he had James Farmer Jr. said Dr. King would be greatly distressed to find that his blood had triggered off bloodshed and disorder. I think instead the nation should be quiet, black and white, and we should be in prayerful mood, which would be keeping with his life. Um, obviously, he was very like into you know having prayer and things like that with him being such a religious figure as well. So he really wanted to the country's reaction to reflect what King probably would have done. And the impact of silence. Yeah, exactly. As well. Yeah. Like what we've just seen with like Blackout Tuesday when everyone just put that black screen. Um obviously there was a bit Or or don't or don't don't hashtag Black Lives Matter with that because Black Lives Matter hashtag is a great resource for people Mm -hmm. that need information help to find it. Yeah. So Yeah. But it was one of those things. But the message behind it was just like there wasn't it to let people know and also it was very telling for people who did post that and people who didn't post that 
So we should make that kind of dedication and commitment to the goals which his life served to solve in the domestic problems. That's the memorial. That's the kind of memorial we should build for him. It's not appropriate for there to be violent retaliations in the wake of his murder. He was a pacifist and a man of peace. So that is really that that is the message he wanted so james farmer who knew him really well as well worked alongside him was trying to get that message out to his followers however there were some more militant responses such as stokely carmichael and he was calling for forceful action he said white america killed dr king last night he made it a whole lot easier for a whole lot of black people today there, there no longer needs to be intellectual discussions black people know that they have to get guns White America will live to live to cry that she killed Dr. King last night. It would have been better if she had killed Rat Brown or Stokely Carmichael, obviously referring to himself. But when she killed Dr. King, she lost. Obviously, is she referring to America as she? As she, yeah. Which I, I don't know why. A lot of people that. do she that, has, don't like, they? Boots and stuff, don't they? They always call yeah. it she. The boots are always women. I know that from it. Oh yeah, Ooh, butter is she, Georgie. <laughs> um, so despite the despite the urging for calm by many leaders, a nationwide wave of riots erupted in more than one hundred cities. After the assassination, the city of Memphis quickly settled the strike on favourable terms to the sanitation workers. So that original um, issue that Martin Luther King had gone there for was resolved for those sanitation workers. Which is which good, and it's a good legacy. I'm glad that that, that happened and that they sort of um, recognised that, you know, and I'm sure it was probably because Dr King was assassinated. I don't condone violence in any form, no. but I think sometimes, you know what, if you've got a riot to get something done, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I understand why people do it. And I imagine it was probably very similar today where a lot of peaceful protests turned into riots. Yeah, yeah. And it's, again, it just gets, it, it happens, doesn't it? It's like human reactions to things, isn't it? Being intimidated. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. What are you obsessed with, Dean? Miss Pippin. Oh, I love Miss Pippin as well. So I've got this lovely gorgeous lanyard in my hand and this is perfect for school it is pink and like pale purple and it's got a lovely leopardy type print yeah it's so cute but she also does um just custom ones i asked her to do me ones with books on one time and she did them so i've got little tiny books because i'm an english teacher she can do disney ones which i thought oh my god this is perfect because i can get them for my niece to put important things on so not just for teachers no not just for teachers you could have your little lanyard on your pass for this day yes queen yes exactly i love miss pippin and i love love the fact that it's customizable i'm gonna get her to make me a pride one how nice would that be yeah that is really cute so she does things like lanyards she does matching key rings um, she does clipboards. What a cute wedding present, engagement yes. present, matching little earrings. Oh my god, cute. that would be really cute. She does loads and loads of little custom crafty things. Um, she does. We can describe oh, hand sanitizer. Oh, how she cute! She does like little custom hand sanitizer, so you can have your name on them. 
we could describe them all day to get, but you need to go and check them out. You can check out on Danielle's Insta at, at Miss Waldron underscore. Um, we've posted a picture of the one Miss Pippin sent us. And Danielle's also bought a few things off Miss Pippin that she's going to show off there as well. Yeah. And you can go straight to Miss Pippin's page on Instagram at Miss Pippin yeah. for more information to see all of the fantastic stuff that she gets involved with um so that once again that's at miss pippin on instagram let her know that the folks from the pod sent you welcome back after the break thank you very much for listening to that and sticking around um we've just spoke about the riots that happened after the death of martin luther king and now we're going to talk a little bit about the reactions um so his funeral was broadcast on the radio and millions of people listen there's photos oh you can see of people crowded around these small radios so on april 8th king's widow coretta and her four young children led a crowd estimated to be around forty thousand people in a silent march through the streets of memphis to honor dr king and support the cause of the city's black sanitation workers the next day funeral rites were held in king's hometown of atlanta georgia the service at ebenezer baptist church was nationally televised as were other events. A funeral procession transported King's body for three and a half miles through the streets of Atlanta, followed by more than 100,000 mourners from the church to his Almata, Morehouse College. A second service was held just before the burial. In the wake of King's assassination, journalists reported some callous or hostile reactions from parts of white America, particularly in the South. David Haberstem, who reported on King's funeral, recounted a comment heard at an affluent white dinner party. One of the wives, station wagon, three children, $45,000 house, leaned over and said, I wish you would spit in his face for me. It was a stunning moment. I wondered for a long time afterwards what King would have possibly done to her. In what conceivable way he could have threatened her. Why this passionate hate? That's disgusting. How horrible is that? And that just shows, like... Obviously, when you think of the reactions that we're talking about, you're thinking, like, the upset and outrage and, you know, people mourning. But there were people that were happy about it, which is just... I don't get that. My brain can't, like, can't comprehend it. I know. But I also can see, like, the scientific thing. Because they're putting, like... It's like Stanford Prison Experiment, isn't it? Like, because they've been put... In this, in this right almost that they feel like they have this bare fright to be better than everyone else. They think they they think that's that. Yeah. But I just don't get it. I hate it. I know. I'm so know. angry right now. I get angry with it as well all the time. I hate it. And do you know what we need to be angry? We do. Because that's not right. No, it's not right. And things still aren't right today. Danielle, you're gonna have to take over. I'm angry. <laughs> so reporters. Reporters recounted that many whites were also grief-stricken at the leader's death. In some cases, the shock of events altered opinions. A survey later sent to a group of college trustees revealed that their opinions on King had risen after his assassination. The New York Times praised King in in an editorial, calling his murder a national disaster and his cause a just one. So... It does show that his death actually some good came out of it because some a publication like the New York Times posting that obviously would have been huge to say that his cause was just and the fact that people who maybe hadn't rated him massively beforehand now that he died all of a sudden did and that happens even today 
when like people famous that have died and then you get everyone at the woodwork saying that they were like their biggest fan and stuff like that. That does my head. But this, I'm fine with them doing that for Martin Luther King because it's it's helping the movement. Yeah. It's it's making people you know not be as hateful and stuff like that. But also, so, this was fifty years ago. Yeah. Like that's recent. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Like we're what twenty five, twenty six. Do you know what I'm saying? I know this is not a visual medium, but I'm shaking my head in dismay. Like, I'm so angry at the world. Yeah, it is. I would be angry as well. Well, you are angry. (laughs) But I am, yeah. I'm just, um, I'm You're just a lot calmer than me. I just break out when hard when I'm angry as well. So, public figures generally praise King in the days following his death. Others express political ideology. Governor George Wallace of Alabama, was known as a segregationist, described the assassination as a senseless, regrettable act. But Governor Lester Maddox of Georgia called King an enemy of our country and threatened to personally raise the state capital flag back from half-staff. California Governor Ronald Reagan described the assassination as a great tragedy that began when when we began compromising with the law, law and order, and people started choosing which laws they'd break. South Carolina Senator Storm Timond wrote to his constituents, we are now witnessing the whirlwind sowed years, years ago when some preachers and teachers began telling people that each man could be his own judge in his own case. So we've got a mix of different politicians and their reactions at the time. Obviously, some of them aren't as nice as others, like with Lester Maddox, obviously saying that he was an enemy of the country. But then I find it quite interesting that George Wallace, who was like pro-segregation, was still against his, his murder. So he was still saying, you know, like, that's not okay, even though he was a segregationist. It's... It's baffling, isn't it? Yeah. But at least there's some kind of yeah reprieve. Yeah, and it just shows that all these leaders for the different states were coming out and making a statement about it. So that shows the impact that Martin. Yeah, King whether had. that statement be good or bad. Or bad, they were all they all needed to make a statement on it. So that shows that he was very impactful. So that moves us on to the FBI case. The Federal Bureau of Investigation was assigned to lead to investigate King's death. J. Edgar Hoover, who had previously made efforts to undermine King's reputation, told President Johnson that his agency would attempt to find the culprit or culprits. Many documents related to the investigation remain classified and are stated to remain secret until 2027. So these are still classified. Seven years. Yeah, seven years. Maybe we'll update you if we're still going. Um, <laughs> what do you mean, if? <laughs> uh, when? Danielle obviously doesn't think this podcast has a very long lifespan. No, no. Honestly, I think we do. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting for our 10-year anniversary. Oh, I think it'll be cute there. Um, All right. Do you know what? They say this. They say that they're only sealed till 2027, but... They said this with the Kennedy ones, and then they resealed them for longer. They changed the date on it. Also depends who's president. Also depends if there's still people alive 
who are going to get in trouble if those documents come out. Like George Bush's dad, um, he'll get in trouble. George Bush? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> George Bush's dad, George Bush. Um, <laughs> he was the head of the FBI when Kennedy got assassinated. Um, so he would get in a lot of trouble because a lot of people think he had something to do with it. But he's still clinging on for dear life because he's super, super old. Um, and so they keep like reclassifying the documents. Mm. Which is because they were supposed to come out a few years ago. I'm not happy about that. Mm. But so it... hopefully Martin Luther Kings don't get pushed back again. So in 2010, um, as in the earlier years, some argued for passage of proposed Records Collection Act similar to the 1992 law that was concerning Kennedy's assassination to require an immediate release of the records. This measure did not pass. Like the Freedom of Information Act. Mm-hmm. I love a, a subject access request. I know, but it just shows, like, why don't they just release them? What? Why are they not releasing them? <laughs> because they've got things that they don't want exactly. people to know. and it's like, it's so annoying. It's, oh, and it just makes them look even more guilty. So, Dr. King's funeral was attended by over 300,000 people and took place on April 9th. Vice President Hubert Humphrey attended on behalf of Johnson, who was at a meeting at the Vietnam War at Camp David, where there were fears that Johnson might be hit with protests and abuse over the war if he attended the funeral. At his widow's request, King's last sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church was played at the funeral. It was a recording of his drum major sermon given on February 4th, 1968. In that sermon, he asked that, at his funeral, no mention of his awards and honours be made but that he said he tried to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and be right on the war question, and love and serve humanity. So that says a lot as well, that only in February, so two months before, he was basically like prepping for his funeral as well, like not prepping to like a huge extent, but saying, you know, don't make a mention of this and he was only 39 but can we also just say how much that says about his character yeah that he didn't want any kind of accolades at his funeral because he would have known that that's what people wanted to do he just wants to be judged on the content of his heart mm-hmm. yeah because he really was like lovely and so many i mean he was a flawed man of course like every person is but um and this is the problem with people people aren't just Good or bad. Yeah. People are a spectrum of things. Sorry, I'm passionate about that as well. I know, I know you are. But we should all be passionate about that and know that, like, no one is perfect and, and all that sort of stuff. So, now, let's delve into it then a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Get me into the conspiracies. Okay. So, let's have us talk about the perpetrator, James Earl Ray. Yes! So, the F- FBI investigation found these fingerprints on objects left in the bathroom um, from which the gunfire had come. Evidence included a Remington Game Master rifle from, wh- from which at least one shot had been fired. The fingerprints were traced to an, ex- an escaped convict named J- James Earl Ray. Two months after assassinating King, Ray was captured at London's Heathrow Airport, like we mentioned before, where he was trying to depart from the UK for Angolia, um, which was basically like where the apartheid was going on at the time in, in South Africa, um, on a false Canadian 
on a false Canadian passport in the name of Raymond George Sinet Sinet Sayed Sinet Sinet in the name of Raymond George Sinet. Ray was quickly extradited to Tennessee and charged with King's murder. Ray confessed to the assassination on March 10th, 1969, on the advice of his attorney, Percy Foreman. So that's quite a long time after then. That's nearly a year after King's death. He then admits to it. So he must have been in custody for like almost a year, pretty much. When did um, he get arrested? Got arrested two months after, so he would have got arrested in the So June. custody for about ten years. Mm-hmm. Extra expedition extradition might have taken a while maybe uh, yeah legally um but also like it was probably heating up and like it's Mm. got obviously it's going to be a massive trial if the trial was to go ahead yeah his attorney's wanting him to take a plea deal probably well we're gonna get on to that now so he did this on the advice of his attorney and then took a guilty plea to avoid um, conviction and potential death penalty because of course we're in the south the death penalty is definitely going to get pursued. So, Ray was sentenced to a 99-year prison term, but he recanted his confession just three days later. Now, I think if he was innocent, that was the best deal he was going to get because he was going to get charged with this murder regardless. But there's this thing, isn't there, in America, where, like, we'll do a whole Freaky Friday on it, where... The American judicial system is all about profit and keeping prisons full, and that's why they have plea deals. Yeah. So it, it doesn't matter there. at the at the point whether you did right or wrong, whether you, it's fact or false. It's either you get this now and take it, and you do two, three years or two years or whatever it is, mm. or you go to court, and if you get found guilty, we're going to come down a lot harder on you, and you're going to get yeah. twenty years. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like the the American justice system is not just. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Like, and obviously with this one, his attorney probably said to him, look, you're going to get found guilty and you're going to get the death penalty. So this is your best option. And I think if I was an innocent person, I'd Uh, probably take that option. I wouldn't go with the, I wouldn't go to trial thinking, oh my God, I could get the death penalty. Especially if it looked like you were going to get it. Because, I mean, back in the 60s, it wasn't as uh, judicious as it is now. No, definitely Um, not. So, Ray fired Ray fired Foreman and claimed that a man whom he had met in Montreal by the alias of Raoul was involved. As What's such an alias name? <laughs> like, if there was ever That's an like alias... That's, the is... biggest alias name ever, isn't it? Like, an Raul. alias name should just be, like, Tom or Adam or something like that, shouldn't it? Like Raoul. Raoul. That's my name. Like, an alias name here, John Smith. Yeah. Eva Peron. I meant Eva Smith, but Peron yeah, came to my head. Daisy Renton. Yeah, or like Jane, like Jane Doe, John Doe, that sort of thing, isn't it? I was making Inspector Claus references, but you know. I ruined it. You did? Um, you know, so, Jane. <laughs> well, you've ruined it, Jane. You've ruined it, Jane. What a sad life. What a sad little life, Jane. I love that so much. Take your money. Get off my property and go. Go. That's probably the best bit of TV that's ever existed. You have all the grace of a reversing dump truck. It's so funny. You've won, Jane. I want to watch that. Right, so. Sorry. As was, J- as was Ray's brother, Johnny, but that Ray himself was not. He said through his new attorney, Jack Kershaw, that although he did not personally shoot King, 
he may have been partially responsible without knowing it, therefore hinting at a conspiracy. In May 1977, Kershaw presented evidence to the House Select Committee on Assassinations. The back again. <laughs> back, back, back again. Uh, that he believed um, it would exonerate his client, but tests did not prove conclusive. Kershaw also claimed that Ray was somewhere else when the shots were fired. However, they couldn't find a witness to corroborate this claim. But it is telling that, like, almost 10 years later, he is still giving it a good go. And, like, he's gone and got himself a different attorney, you know, and he's... He that means nothing. For his non guilt I know, I mean, it means nothing, but... Because in is, prison, what's the one thing that you're going to focus on? Getting, yeah, out of prison. getting out of prison. And do you know what? He focused so much on getting out of prison, he even forced his way out of prison. Mm. That'd be right. This bitch tried to escape. That'd be right. Tell us about the escape. So Ray and seven other convicts escaped from Brushy Mountain State Penitentiary in Petros, Tennessee on June 10th, 1977. But they were recaptured on June 13th. Lovely little three-day jaunt for them. Yeah, just a nice little... Mini break. Yeah, city break. City break away. And then they were returned to prison on the 13th of June. So a year was added to Ray's sentence. A year is very like lenient, so now isn't we it? got 100 years. Do you know what? They don't They don't actually add as much on as you'd think they would for escapes, you know, which is bizarre. Well, you might but as well they try only your ever, luck, They only ever get like five, six years. It, obviously, I don't know for everyone. But in like documentaries I've seen where they've escaped, they don't actually get that much time added on. Well, but to be fair there's not much point in adding loads of time onto it because he's already in there for 99 he's gonna die anyway so like but if you were Ray you'd have your best yeah you You might as well but I don't imagine prisons are easy to escape so Ray worked for the remainder of his life unsuccessfully attempting to withdraw his guilty plea and secure a full trial in 1997 King's son Dexter met with Ray he publicly supported Ray's efforts to obtain a retrial. Oh. Mm, yeah, the family. This is a huge thing. The family really believed Ray. They believed him with everything he said. So Pepper remained Ray's attorney until Ray's death. He carried on the efforts to gain a trial on the behalf of the King family, who do not believe Ray was responsible, claiming that there was a conspiracy by elements of the government against King. So... The family want justice and they do not feel that justice has been served. The government clearly think as soon as they've got a name and someone in prison that is justice is served. And this is this thing again, isn't it, of typically the police just want a conviction rather yeah. than justice. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean So Ray died in prison in April 23rd, 1998. He died at the age of 70 from kidney and liver failure caused by hepatitis C probably contracted as a result of a blood transfusion after a stabbing while at the prison. Ugh. Hepsy. Grim. So, this is where the one that we were talking about at the start comes in. Yes, play. Lloyd Jowers. So, yeah, so this is Coretta Scott King. Oh, Lord. She called him Lord. Lord. So, this is Coretta Scott King versus Lloyd Jowers. So, in 1997, King's son Dexter, like we said before, met with Ray and he'd asked him, did you kill my father? And Ray replied no to him. And King told Ray that he, along with the King family, believed him. So they've looked him in the eyes 
and met with him and th- that's what they thought they believed in so whether or not you know true or not we don't know the king family urged that ray be granted a new trial in 1999 the family filed a civil case against jowers and unnamed co-conspirators for the wrongful death of king and my guess is this was off the back of uh, Ray's death because they can't appeal with him anymore. You know, like to get an appeal. Yeah, he needed through. something else. So now they've done this. Um, so the case was Coretta Scott King versus Lloyd Jowers and the rest of all the people who conspired. Um, and this was tried in Shelby County, Tennessee from November 15th to December 8th, 1999. This is in our lifetime now. I was literally just about to say that. This is in our lifetime. This is like, our, our parents probably would have watched this on the news, you know, like... Because our parents are probably about our age. That's crazy. A bit older, maybe. It's yeah. insane. Is his wife still alive today? No, she's died now. Oh, Sad. bless her. So, attorney William Francis Pepper representing the King family, presented evidence from 70 witnesses and 4,000 pages of transcripts. That's a lot of evidence. That's a lot of evidence. Pepper alleges in his book, An Act of State, that the evidence implicated the FBI, the CIA, and the US Army, as well as the Memphis Police Department. So this goes all the way to the top. Oh yeah, and even organised crime, our boys from the Mafia, back again. Back, 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 back again. (laughs) The suit alleged government involvement, however, no government officials or agencies were named or made party to the suit, so there was no defence or evidence presented or refuted by the government. I think that's so clever, because they would just destroy (laughs) it. Yeah, exactly. And, like, things, like, because they could then argue back and get things taken out of the record, they could do objections and things like that. Yeah, so that was probably a really conscious decision, wasn't it, by them? Yeah. So the jury of six blacks and six whites decided that King and decided that King had been a victim of a conspiracy involving the Memphis police and federal agencies, finding Jowers and unknown co-defendants civilly liable and awarding the family a hundred pounds. Well, a hundred dollars. What? So they've won. They did win. So they've won. They've got that recognition, which is what I think they wanted. They just wanted it on paper to say that that's what happened to him. Local assistant district attorney, John Campbell, who was not involved in the case, said that the case was flawed and overlooked so much contradictory evidence that was never presented. This civil verdict against Jowers has been claimed by some to have established Ray's criminal innocence which the King family has always maintained, but it had no bearing on his guilty plea. In the United States, civil and criminal trials are always adjudicated independently. The family said that they'd requested only £100 to demonstrate that it wasn't for that financial gain. And Dexter King called a verdict a vindication for us. So I think this was, like we were saying, just about... Getting it on getting paper. closure for them and getting that vindication, getting it on paper. It, it wasn't... I think they knew nothing was going to happen, like, in terms of people going to prison and stuff. Oh, no. They just wanted Because it's this. a civil case as well. Yeah, they wanted this just on the record. So, at a press conference following the trial, he and his mother, Coretta, told reporters that they believed the mafia and the state, local and federal government agencies, had conspired to um, plan the assassination and frame Ray as a shooter. When asked whom the family believed was the true assassin, 
Dexter King said that Jowers had identified Lieutenant Earl Clark of Memphis Police Department as the shooter. How? Well, we're going to go on to that. Okay. So. So is there some counter evidence here? There is some counter evidence. It's like I read it on the notes. It's almost like you knew it was there. So, in 2000, which only 20 years ago. Fast maths, Danielle. Well done. Gold star. Really quick maths. The Department of Justice completed its investigation into Jowers' claims, finding no evidence to support the conspiracy allegations. The investigation report recommended no further investigation unless new and reliable facts were to be re- were to be presented. presented. A sister of Jowers said that he had fabricated the story in order to earn £300,000 by selling it because he had a book out, don't forget. And that she had corroborated the story to get money to pay her income taxes. So she, like, grassed her own brother up, basically. Um, Can you have imagine having to pay your taxes at the end of the year? I know. Like, they don't just come out your That's wages. That's so rude, isn't it? I'd hate that. I couldn't manage my money like no, that No, I couldn't manage my money like that. I'm so glad that they just come out all Like, time, take it off me. I don't want anything yeah, to do with it. Yeah, take it away. I don't want to see it. Because you can end up in prison as well for not paying your taxes. I know. And I would just do that obliviously. I'd be yeah. like, wait, what? What? I was meant to pay. And then by the time you realise you'd have like, to pay, you'd be like, I've got no money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've, I've spent like, I've spent it. <laughs> I've spent it on sassy short wax. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true as well. King's biographer, David Garrow, disagrees with Pepper's claims that the government killed King. He's supported by another uh, another author, Gerald Posner, who wrote Killing the Dream, James L. Ray and the Assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., concluding that Ray killed King, acting alone, likely for the hope of collecting a racist bounty for the murder. However, other conspiracy theorists have criticised this, saying it's um, that part of it is just based on the psychological evaluation of James Earl Ray, which Posner isn't qualified to give because he's not a psychologist, um, and dismisses a lot of the evidence, basically, that's um, put into King's murder. Um, and a lot of this is to exploit the tragedy because they're writing books. Yeah, they want is, money. They want that money. to exploit the tragedy. So they're just going, oh, this is the what happened, especially because... So it's not about justice. It's no, about, it's not about justice. It's about a quick, big, quick book. Yeah, exactly. Do you want that dollar, dollar bill? Yeah, exactly. It's just... If it's Martin Luther okay. King should be on the money. Oh, Martin Luther King really should be on the money. But let's talk about some other theories why don't you take us into them so did you know in 1998 cbs reported that two separate separate ballistic tests concluded that the remington game master allegedly used by ray in the assassination came back as inconclusive so some witnesses with king at the moment that he was shot said the shot had been fired from a different location and not from the window in ray's house but they said that they believed the source was from behind thick shrubbery near the rooming house. So oh. not his window, just by his window. Strange. Mm. So King's friend at the SCLC, organiser Reverend James Lawson, has suggested that the impending occupation of Washington, D.C. by the Poor People's Campaign was a primary motive for the assassination. Lawson also noted that during the civil trial that King alienated President Johnson and other powerful government actors as he spoke against the Vietnam War. On April 4th, 1967, exactly one year before his assassination. Some evidence has suggested that King has been targeted by counterprol and had also been under surveillance by military intelligence agencies during the period leading up to his assassination. 
under the code name Operation Lantern Spike. I do imagine that, like, mm. he's probably under some kind of surveillance because the government will want to keep an eye on what he's doing and who he's saying to, what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So, Minister Ronald Denton Wilson claimed that his father, Henry Clay Wilson, assassinated King. He stated it wasn't a racist thing. He thought Martin Luther King was connected with communism and he wanted to get him out of the way. However, reportedly, Wilson had previously admitted his father was also a member of the Ku Klux Klan. So he probably was a racist as well. Well, not racist and Ku Klux Klan go together, don't they? Yeah, exactly. It's just ridiculous. So in 2004, Jesse Jackson, who was with King when he was assassinated, said, The fact that there were saboteurs to disrupt the march, and within our own organisation, we found a very key person who was on the government payroll. So infiltration within, saboteurs from without, and the press attacks... I will never believe that James L. Ray had the motive, the money or the mobility to have done it himself. Our government must have been very involved in setting the stage for it and I think the escape route for James L. Ray. According to biographer Taylor Branch, King's friend and colleague James Bevel put him more bluntly. There is no way a 10 cent white boy could develop a plan to kill a million dollar black man. Ooh. That is blunt. That, oh, that really is blunt. That's like a, a very sassy statement, isn't it? But true. But true, but true. Martin Luther King's worth more than a million dollars. these are all the people who were closest to Martin Luther King saying this and believing it. His family believed that it was a conspiracy. I believe it now. I th- well, this is this is needing all the evidence. You're 100% going to be right on board in a minute. I'll jump on board. <laughs> so, in 1979, the United States House Select Committee... committee on assassinations. Did you again. know they've got a committee of committees? Yeah, I did know they've got a committee of committees because I listened to True Crime Obsession. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I was listening to it like it's so funny. Um, released a report stating that there was a likelihood of conspiracy in the assassination of King. So that's the United States House Select Committee of assassinations that is a proper organization we know we know we know who they are we, we, we we're, we're well acquainted with them that, that's them saying that it's a very big likelihood of a conspiracy so hello well clearly a conspiracy in 99 a mix of white and black people and a jury at civil suit like we've already spoke about reached that unanimous verdict that he was assassinated as a result of that conspiracy um, by a person named Raoul, among others. Do you know what I find really interesting? What? Usually on most true crime things that we talk about, we always separate the jurors by gender. Yeah, and in this one, it's... It's like always a, by race, yeah, isn't it? for race. I think it's important that they needed it to be, you know, at least half and half because of the obvious prejudices. Yeah, well, the way they select juries, don't they? They get so many, like, vetoes and so many, like, we don't want... Mm. But you get to be, like, the defence in it. Oh, if you want to watch how um, Americans pick a jury, I highly recommend uh, The People versus O.J. Simpson because it took a ridiculous amount of time for them to pick that jury for O.J. Simpson's case. Because they have to agree, don't they? Mm-hmm. And, and, like, loads of people got thrown out, then they put people back in, then they thrown them out again. 
it's crazy how long it took them to pick that jewellery and settle on it. That episode is amazing. I will admit my extent of the American justice system is purely based on the good wife. <laughs> You've said this before. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, there's a, there is abundant evidence, Coretta King said after the verdict, of a major high-level conspiracy in the assassination of my husband. The jury found, again, that the mafia and all those various agencies were deeply involved um, and they believed that Mr. Ray had been set up to take the blame, which is kind of sad that this came after Ray's death because if that is the case, he never got that vindication. Yeah, because if he, if he was in this into like, this is him starting to, like, yeah, be vindicated, yeah. as you just said. I didn't sad. know what I was trying to add there. Sorry. No but you know, it's sad. So, King had long found enemies among the nation's top body of law enforcement. This bit is actually insane. Get ready to be gagged. I'm going to be gagged. The FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, the director of the FBI, pronounced him as the most notorious liar in the country. They are the words that came out of J. Edgar Hoover, the head at the time of the FBI's words before he died. So I'm gooped and gagged. No, listen, that's not even it. King had been under FBI surveillance since the Montgomery bus boycott in 1956. Rosa Parks? So he, yeah, so he has been under surveillance for 12 years by the FBI. They began wiretapping his phones in 1963, and this is all proven, all like fully got the evidence and receipts for it. Stop it. King expressed his anger towards the FBI in 1964 declaring that it was completely ineffectual in resolving and continued mayhem and brutality inflicted upon the Negro, because that's what they used to call them, um, in the Deep South. After King's death, the FBI led the investigation into his assassination. So just think about they've been wiretapping him and keeping tabs on him. Uh, Martin Luther King had come out four years before his death and said that he basically didn't like them and he knew that... Under what grounds are they doing this? Exactly, what grounds. And this is just because J. Edgar Hoover has branded him the most notorious liar in the country. Um, And then he goes on to say other things about him as well. Surely it's in the Constitution, freedom of speech. Yeah, which is why they couldn't do anything, which is why they would just keep in heavy taps on him. To try and catch him out, basically. And try and find find him in something. And we're going to talk about some stuff that they found in a minute. Oh, no. So, on November 1st, 1971, former head of FBI intelligence operations, William C. Sullivan, testified before the Senate Select Committee to study governmental operations with respect to intelligence activities. He stated that in the war, war against King, no holds were barred. An internal FBI document expressed concern that this might raise the suspicion of the FBI involvement in his assassination. So that is someone who was an intelligence officer at the time saying that they were in a war against King. The FBI were in a war against him. So that's the mentality they know. Yeah. If they work there, they know. No no holds were barred. They'd do anything. To get get him convicted or to get him to stop what he was doing. So, the FBI tried to paint King as a communist, because obviously no Massive. one liked communists at the time. It was a really big deal, like we spoke about this in our last um, case file sort of episode. So, um, in 1962, Hoover then told the Attorney General, uh, Bobby Kennedy, that King was a secret member of the Communist Party, 
which was just a blatant lie. So he's just lying and spreading lies about him to, you know, really high up. To defame him. Yeah, to defame him. And also, the Attorney General, that's a massive power. Um, And so he's trying to basically get other people to think, oh, well, he's a communist. And then hopefully Bobby Kennedy will start spreading that lie as well. It's like playground bullies. People trust Bobby Kennedy, so they'll, they'll listen to what he said. Thankfully, Bobby Kennedy didn't listen to what he said. And right side history. Yeah, right side history. Well done, Bob. So, um, this led to... Ca- but, hang on, I know we've just said right side history, Bob, but obviously he must have changed his mind at some point. However, because he was told that he was part of a communist party, Kennedy approved the wiretaps because obviously all of this... Wrong side yeah, history. Because obviously a lot of this did have to go through... Um, the attorney general and the pre- like presidents people like that so the fbi had to sort of present why they wanted to do that and they presented this to him when he was the attorney general in 1962 um and and it was approved um but i also think if you're saying we think we've got a communist that's trying to like rally communism yeah and also you've got to think of it in the sense of he's approving wiretaps to see what's going on you know, they're not saying like, right, we want to arrest him now and let's get the warrant for this and let's do that. You know, he's... What did they wiretap in the 50s Bones. and 60s? Your house phone. Your house phone. Mm. Yeah, great. Forget about landlines. You forget about the landlines, don't you? Yeah. Which is why a lot of gangsters would always use payphones. Because they can't tap a payphone. Mm-hmm. So. Oh. Mm. What happened to the payphones? Bring back the payphone. Bring back the other FBI documents claimed King has been described within the Communist Party USA as a true, genuine Marxist-Leninist, big up Lenin, um, from the top of his head to the tips of his toes. As late as three weeks before King's killing, internal FBI documents attacked King for his wholehearted communism and his Marxist-Lenin line. After repeated claims of King's and the civil rights movement's links to communism, King actually declared that he was sick and tired of people saying that his movement was infiltrated by communists. And he then said there were as many communists in this Freeman movement as there are Eskimos in Florida. So obviously he's hinting that there's not. Yeah, because Eskimos like the cold over. Yeah, well, they generally. Probably just quite hard. Um, so obviously there's huge tensions with the FBI and oh, yeah. King right up until his death. Um, and this it's is, bubbling. They have the documents to prove this that they were really didn't like him and that they were just making up lies about him. Dickheads. Yeah, they were just being knobs for no reason. Liars. Like, no one likes well, liars. it wasn't for no reason. It was because they were racist. They weren't worried yeah. communists. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were racist. Yeah, they were just racist. And they didn't want things to change and they seen change coming and they probably got more and more scared the way they seen that they were making progress. Yeah. That things were starting to change. That like they were getting their voices heard. Yeah. So the FBI had long attempted to discredit king's personal life and this was because those communist things even though they were kind of working they just didn't have the proof because the proof wasn't there they probably worked on the people that the same people that voted for donald trump yeah yeah exactly they will believe anything they're told by a position of authority yeah so now they thought right well we need to get some some 
dirt on him, basically. So, in a memo, Hoover said that King was a tomcat with obsessive, degenerate sexual urges. Now, I think the reason he's using the word degenerate is probably because he's black and he's just being racist. What does the word degenerate mean? It's like, um, like not fully formed, you know, like it's like savagery sort of thing. Like if you to describe someone as a, a degenerate, they're not like fully there, like fully formed, fully person, basically like calling them an animal, which is like what people call Oh, them. horrendous, racist. Yeah, it's disgusting, racist, not nice, gross. So FBI documents claimed without evidence regarding an attempt... Without evidence regarding an attendant at one of King's conferences, says one Negro minister in attendance later expressed his disgust with the behind the scene drinking, fornication, and homosexuality. Um, so this was going on at one of King's conferences. Oh my god, there was gay people. Oh my god, there was gay people. Oh my god, there was fornication. Gay panic. Oh my god, there were people drinking. Um, That sounds like a party to me. That sounds like a great party. The document also alleged that several Negro and white prostitutes were brought in from the Miami area. An all-night sex orgy was held with these prostitutes and some of the delegates. On one occasion, the FBI mailed alleged sex tapes of King's adultery and a letter to Coretta Scott King in an attempt to destroy their marriage. But Coretta later remarked that I couldn't make much out of it it was just a lot of mumbo-jumbo. Yes, Coretta. Mm-hmm. What a legend. So, Seeing right through that. I mean, and also, the letter accused King of being sexually psychotic, which, again, is probably just because he's black. Because even if he is having extramarital affairs, JFK had lo- lots yeah. of extramarital affairs. And also, affairs. no he, one's business apart from him yeah. and his wife and the people that he's... Yeah, exactly. Is he sexually psychotic? I don't think so. No, one rule for one and one exactly. for the other. This is what I hate about racism. I know. And they also said he was a colossal fraud. If that is true, because that's not proven, I kind of understand maybe using the word fraud because, obviously, he's a clergyman. So I kind of understand that, but it's not right to be... Oh, no, I don't agree with that, just um, because he's a reverend and a clergyman. Oh, no, He no. can do what he wants. Oh, no, and I don't... As long as it was consent and adults, yeah. he oh, could yeah, do whatever consent. he wants. Of they course. can drink, they have sex, whatever. Oh, of course. I yeah. don't know why I felt the need to outline what they might have been doing. Yeah, sex. <laughs> uh, so the letter warned King that your end is approaching and that he was done. And oh. that's a letter... From the FBI. Oh, so they literally say his end was approaching and he was done. It's that, that's why he's making these preparations. He knows it's coming, doesn't he? Could you he? imagine getting stuff like that through from the FBI? And I mean, I think it's really dodgy that that tape was mumbo jumbo because, you know, was it even a tape of that party that they are alleging? No, it was probably just like a awful recording. Mm-hmm. So. Did they have tapes back in that day? Yeah, because they have film. Yeah, but not like videotapes or VHS. That was like 80s. Or B- Betamax. Yeah, but they would have had like a reel, wouldn't they, or something like that. <laughs> they a reel through the post. <laughs> no, they had something that they sent her in the post. <laughs> I don't know. It would have been something. It was some kind of tape. Imagine, there. like, your husband's having an affair. <laughs> I've got the receipts. Let me just set up the reel. 
<sighs> so the FBI's original tests on the bullet that King that killed King and the hunting rifle were inconclusive, as we've talked about. So, in 1997, tests were run comparing 12 test bullets from the alleged murder rifle and the bullet that King's, that killed Martin Luther King. Ballistics expert Robert Hathaway testified that the killing bullet lacked, lacked reference points on the fired test bullets. The unique barrel markings could not be found on the killing bullet. So, that's telling. So, is that like... Um barrel markings is when the gun goes through the, the goes through the barrel it scrapes the sides yeah it's going to be like leaving little scratches yeah. and stuff like that so basically so you can match them up and see where it's been yeah, fired from it's not consistent with the ones that they've tested oh. so it's quite dodged that all the ones that the fbi did were inconclusive but then when they've done it with a different person he's gone mm. well i'm gone actually so why don't you tell us a little bit about the Memphis Police Department? It's as if you knew that was next on the notes. Upset over King's March, the city of Memphis filed a formal complaint against King and the SCLC. So when Dr. King returned to Memphis on April 3rd, 1968, he was put under surveillance by the MPD. He was followed at the airport by two black plain clothes cops. That was a, that, that was a um, tongue twister. Plain clothes cops. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so, so he was followed to the airport by two black plainclothes cops, one of which was Detective Edward E. Reddit. At the same time, the Memphis police also assigned four men to protect King. King's entourage told the police that they had not requested their help. When the police asked where King was staying, Reverend James Lawson replied, We have not fully made up our minds. So they're obviously very like... Yeah, because they always stayed in the same hotel. They know the where they're room. going. So they were like... Dodge why he's following us. But they're trying to keep it... Mm. Oh. So. The police protection remained near King until they were recalled to the police station at 5.05. One of the four men, Inspector Tynes, later stated that the callback was not planned and that he did not know why it happened. The MPD chief, MacDonald, later claimed to have no memory of the police protection. At the nearby fire station, number two, the black detectives continued their surveillance of King. Shortly after midday, Detective Reddit received a threatening phone call from a woman, telling him that he was doing the black people wrong. Reddit was his associate where he was told to return to the police station. Reddit was told that threats had been made on his life and that also made on his family. So him and his family stayed at a local motel under an assumed name. As a police car arrived on the radio, he heard King's assassination. Within the next few days, Reddit heard no more about the alleged threats. Right, so let me just do a quick interruption there. Interrupt me. Basically, the, the police department probably faked that call to to him and his partner to get rid of them from away from watching what's going on because this is a smart thing for the Memphis Police Force to do. So they, they've tasked them with following Martin Luther King to, like, see where he is and stuff like that. Check he's okay. Check where he is and stuff like that. When they probably already knew what hotel he was going to because he always went to the same motel. So they've got him, th- those two, to do that. And then they've said, right, let's get these threats going on their lives. And stuff oh, like. clever. Get them out the picture so they're not there. And then they'll have these two black police people 
to sort of have, you know, like in their back pocket to be like, oh, well, no, you know, we had two black police officers protecting who, him, who, were, looking who out should for have him. been there for him and blah, 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 blah. But they were the two that were... Called away. Called away, basically, like taken away. And the four white people who were protecting him weren't, you know, like... Oh, uh, so all very, very strange. Yeah, very convenient that the two black police officers were called away. Oh. Isn't it? It doesn't sit right, that. Mm-hmm. So two black firemen were also given the day off. So they're just trying to get anyone in a position of power that was black but out of the picture. Mm-hmm. Ugh. According to the FBI, this station had an excellent vantage point over the Lorraine Motel. The MPD also infiltrated the invaders, a local black militant group which offered the protection of for King. So the single informant began surveilling in February 1968, just two months before King's assassination. The informant was present in the motel courtyard when King was actually assassinated. So he was there. Yeah, and he was the informant. I mean, this is just ridiculous. It's all lined up, isn't it? Yeah. Besides his own infiltration, the MPD was itself infiltrated by the FBI. Infiltration on infiltration. I know. So the FBI had paid had five paid informants within the Memphis Police Department. Hello! That says a lot, doesn't it? Ugh, this is just corruption. Corruption, corruption, corruption. That killed a very nice man. Yeah, sad. So, that's pretty much the gist of this conspiracy theory because there's all these um, sort of events that are lining up. So, the King family has long been outspoken about their belief in a conspiracy and about Ray's innocence. King's youngest son, Dexter, met with Ray in prison, like we spoke about already. Mm-hmm. Um, and he told him, you know, that the family believed in him um, and things like that. And they were basically really trying to, you know, get him exonerated. But obviously he didn't. They wanted justice. Yeah. King's daughter, Bernice King, said, It pains my heart that James L. Ray had to spend his life in prison paying for things that he didn't do. She has also said... and. I'm certainly clear that there has been a conspiracy from the government down to the mafia. King's wife, Coretta, also told at a press conference about the abundance of, you know, all of that uh, evidence that we were speaking about before in that trial that came out. So many of who, many who worked with King also believe this conspiracy that we've spoken about as well. Um, I believe it. Yeah, I believe it. There's loads, like even um, like Democratic Representative John Lewis said, I don't know what happened, but the truth of what happened um, to Dr. King should be made available for history's sake. And so he's basically implying there that the truth isn't already out. Um, so, you know, that says a lot for what, what he believes. And he's like an actual, you know, Democratic representative. Can I have to rewrite the history books when this all comes oh, out, God, aren't we? Yeah. And then Andrew Young, the former UN ambassador and Atlanta mayor, who was at the Lorraine Motel with King when he was assassinated, also shares that. He says, I would not accept the fact that James L. Ray pulled the trigger and that's all that matters. Um, James Lawson was a pastor in Memphis as well and was one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s mentors. Um, he began visiting Ray in prison in 1969. So he obviously didn't think it was him from very early on. Yeah. Um, That's quite soon, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So he said, there were things in Memphis that were suspicious and raised questions in my mind. 
Um, and he said, I never saw those questions answered. I'm satisfied beyond a shadow of a doubt that James Earl Ray neither pulled the trigger nor plotted to kill Martin Luther King. So our old friend, the United States House Select Committee on Assassinations, we love them. They pop up a lot. Which was established in 1976 to investigate the assassinations of JFK and MLK. In 1979, their final report stated that after examining Ray's behaviour, his character and his racial attitudes, the committee found it could not occur with any of the accepted explanations of Ray as a lone assassin. The predominant motive lay in the expectation of monetary gain. And so the committee concluded that there was a likelihood of conspiracy in the assassination of Dr. King. They asserted that it is most likely a conspiracy by the southern white supremacist groups and that Ray was only acting due to a bounty on King's head. They also noted that no federal, state or local government agency was involved in the assassination of Dr. King. The chief counsel, Robert Blakely, stated that if the CIA or FBI had been involved, all incriminating documents were likely destroyed long before 1979, and the same committee also found that there was a high probability that at least two gunmen fired at the president while reviewing the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Yeah, so that just shows that JFK's assassination and MLK's, both of those were the whole reason for this committee getting made. They said that in 40 years ago, no one's done nothing. I know, it's insane, like... I think it's crazy because that report is from 1979, which, like you said, is over 40 years ago. And still, people are just like, nah. Because people aren't aware. People are sheep. Yeah, exactly. People need to stand up. It's just ridiculous. And like I was saying before, you know, it is obviously important to note that Bobby Kennedy, really shortly after um, Martin Luther King, also was assassinated. And Malcolm X was also assassinated a few years earlier. So it just, for me, it seems very convenient that all these people were getting just bumped yeah. off. Yeah, New uh, World Order. Yeah, at, at, around similar times. And, you know, it just, it doesn't sit right with me. Oh. I, I totally agree with the committee. Neither of me, right, here's my final thought. Go on. I believe that it was a government conspiracy. Yeah. I believe it all. I'm off the fence. I know that's been a massive turnaround in this podcast, but I'm off the fence. Yeah. I believe that it was a set, set up. I believe that Martin Luther King was taken way before his time. Oh, God, yeah. And imagine, a threat. Imagine the changes he would have brought about if he lived another 5, 10, 15, oh, 20 years. so sad. Because what he managed to do in 13 years, being part of the civil rights movement, was amazing. And he's so young as well. I know. You know, it's if you If you think, like, we're coming up to our 30s now, that's only 10 years away. Really sad, you know, and he, and he had a lot of potential. I think because of obviously his heart condition, he probably, if he was like naturally going to pass away, it probably would have been at a younger age than it, it should have been. But like we were saying, he had the stress of like the whole civil rights movement on his on his shoulders, didn't he? So, and thank you for everything you did. Thank you for everyone that is fought in the civil rights movement on the movement yeah. for equality. We've I can't, I can't put into words yeah. how grateful I am that that's happened for me to be who I am today. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's really sad. Um, um, at the end of this podcast, I think we should play his I Have a Dream speech just for us to have a little moment of reflection. Oh, yeah, I think that's really So yeah, stay we'll tuned and let's have end. a little listen. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it is really important because it's still such an important message today. And it resonates with people. And I think that message is so important right now. Mm, it really is. It really is. But yeah, um, obviously my final thoughts as well are the same. I really think it was done by the FBI because I think they definitely had a lot more power back then. Oh, completely. Probably do now. I mean, obviously, I, they're still very powerful now. And also, like, things could just be burnt and, like, gotten rid of yeah, or shredded. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I think that's by that committee. But they basically said, didn't they? Oh, well, obviously, all evidence has been destroyed now, so... So, oops. oops. Nothing we can do. Why? That's horrendous. So, it's sad. Martin Luther King definitely, definitely assassinated by his own country, which is disgusting. Would have been by racists because they were threatened that the civil rights movement was being was successful at the time. It Isn't it mad that people know the truth? Though? There's people out there that know the truth. Yeah. Mad. And they're just sitting on it. The mind boggles. But yeah, so 2027, put it in your diary. We'll see you then. They should be getting declassified. Hopefully, we'll see you then to talk about it. We'll do it on a Monday. We'll do it on a Monday. As long as our format hasn't changed, we don't know. You might be listening to this in 2027 going, where are they? Yeah. And we might be living it up on a cruise somewhere. Yeah. You never know. You never know. However, I really enjoyed that case. But what is our next case going to be? Give us some little so, hinty hints. Our next case is a little bit more... Well, okay, it's not lighthearted, but it's a little bit more lighthearted than what we have been talking about. We've just done two back-to-back assassinations. Yeah, two back-to-back assassinations. This is the oldest case that we've ever done oh it is it's set a long time ago um and it's a a mass disappearance oh don't say no more than that so i'm excited this is one of my like favorite pieces of history to learn about i really like learning about this and i can't wait to learn all about it um Stay tuned um, to the end of our podcast after our credits and we will be playing Martin Luther King's speech. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to our sponsor today, which is, once again, the Sassy Shot Wax. You can find them on Instagram and on their website at Sassy Shot Wax. Tune us on Friday for our Freaky Friday, which will be around the conspiracies around the 9-11 attacks. In the meantime, if you could leave us... Five stars on iTunes. On iTunes, obviously. Even if you don't listen to us on iTunes, just popping over there and doing that dead quick. Use your friend's phone. Use your mum's phone, your parents' phone, grandparents' phone, phone, friends' phone, whatever. Yeah, go and leave us a little thing. Go follow us on Spotify, anywhere where you want to. What's our social needs? Our social needs is at Curiously More Pod on. Face on not on Facebook. We're not on Facebook. We're not on Facebook. We're not that cool. Um, on Instagram and on Twitter. So please go follow us on there. You know, give us a little follow, tweet, like, us, send us like to a that. friend. Yeah. I tell you what, let's just all send this podcast to a friend today. Oh my god, let's just share it. Let's just, just do, do it. it. Share it. Comment, like, subscribe, share. Easy. Yes. And if you want to hear more from us individually, you can follow me at the LGBT teacher. You can follow Danielle at Miss Waldron underscore on Instagram. And you can probably find us on Twitter, but that's up to you. I'm not going to do the work. Yeah, I'm not going to make you do that. You know, that's up to you. Whatever you want. But we'll see you next week. Well, we'll see you on Friday. But in the meantime... Stay curious. Stay morbid. This has been an Audio Bear production, and our show tune is Half Mystery by Kevin McCord. The following is the speech by Martin Luther King. I have a dream... That one day on the red hills of Georgia, 
the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will they be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today.